Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday and let's get into Season 5. A Northern Territorian, proud Wawonga and Kukach woman, raised in Larrakia and Yolngu land, Letitia is a passionate advocate for education, particularly for young women, and the role empowering young women plays in healing intergenerational trauma and strengthening communities. Today we chat with Letitia about her background and her passion for lateral empowerment. In 2022, Letitia was successful in a grant application through Northern Land Council's Stimulus Grant Package to develop and deliver a program in relation to lateral violence for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women across the Northern Territory. We talk about the implementation of this program and what it means for young people across the Territory. Welcome, Letitia. Letitia Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining me and thanks for spending a bit of time with me and having a bit of a yarn about you, your background and what's going on with, with you moving forward as well. I'm keen to get into the bottom of that. So thanks and welcome for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Do you want to give our listeners a little bit of background? Let's talk about the country you grew up on, where you're from. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family. So my name's Letitia Jeffrey. I'm a proud Wawonga and Kukach woman raised on Larrakia in Yongolan. I was actually born on Boonwurrung country, which is down in Melbourne. Really? Um, wish I was territory born and bred, but I was one of the kids that was born on the road for our family. So dad was playing for St. Kilda at the time. So I was born at Rabin Hospital. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of history growing up in Nulumbui though. I've always felt like that land's my home. So go back there every, pretty much every year now in October because I love fishing, love camping. Yes. Currently living on the Gold Coast, so on the land of the Kombumeru people and Yungan Bear language group. Yes. Been there for just over a year now, but run my business pretty much still out of the Northern Territory. Growing up, what was it like? And tell us a little bit about the culture and how much of that was ingrained in you as well as you during your childhood. Well, I know for my family, we grew up, especially like, so in particular, my dad's side, I think we were Larrakia and then it was... We were Gurindji and then a few of my aunties actually got together and, you know, did some bit of research and found out we were actually, we're descended from the Wawonga tribe, which was, you know, massacred along near the Daly River. So we only just had our official, I think, you know, welcome kind of back to country. Might have been about 15 years ago now. So, you know, the aunties are still working together to discover a bit more of our history. And so because of that lack of history, you know, growing up in Nulumboy where you know, the culture is so, well, one, the most welcoming people I've ever, you know, met. Sorry. Yeah. The most welcoming people. They just welcomed our family with open arms. It was like, 
even though we weren't Yongul, you know, we obviously come from, you know, different tribes, but we were just seen as Yongul people. So, yeah, we've got some really good family ties o- over in Nulumboy. Grew up like my godson, like lives there. So we're really close with the Bromids and the Yunapingus. And yeah, so I think I feel like I learnt, well, I know more Yongul than I do my own language. So yeah. And you're trying to get back there a bit? Yeah, we yeah. still go back every year. Yeah, guarantee. My daughter, she was born in Darwin. She's now six, but I've taken her back there four times now. Wow. So, yeah, just love being back there. It feels like it's, yeah, just getting back on country and out on the water. Love spearfishing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm more of a, a bit of an ocean girl. Right. Well, let's talk about the, the work you're doing with, the, with schools in particular, but community as well. Tell us a little bit about the work you're doing, and then I want to talk about the transition to the Gold Coast and what you're up to now. So tell us about the community work you were doing. So I come from an education background, worked in education for just over 10 years, mainly in engagement programs, engaging Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander girls in school. So I was really passionate about, you know, those programs and what we did. It was just about, you know, one, providing the girls incentives to come to school and to stay at school, but also to give them the skills to be successful in life. Unfortunately, we we lost our funding for that pr- particular program that I was working on, working with. So, you know, it kind of felt like the carpet got pulled out from underneath. I think it was just like a few days out from Christmas that we were informed that our contracts won't be continued from the 31st of December. Pretty heartbreaking. I was a regional manager at the time. So I worked in a program where I started as a development officer and I slowly worked my way up. So I went development officer, senior development officer, program manager, and then was regional manager for a year overseeing, you know, seven of our programs across the Northern Territory, but also in the Kimberley region. So yeah, I loved it. At the same time, I was studying my Bachelor of Education. So working with the girls actually inspired me because I was like, oh, I need to, I need more education behind me. There's so much more, you know, and I was sitting in schools and I'm like, I can be a better teacher than that. And, you know, you sit there and you're like, you know, rather than sit back and judge, I'm like, I'm just going to do. So went off, did my Bachelor of Education. So I was traveling down to Deakin University at the time, was really supported by, you know, Girls Academy who I was working with at the time as well to complete my degree. But then I did get to a point where I was like, I actually don't want to be in one classroom. I got into a position where I was capacity building, you know, women to be better mentors for our girls. So it was kind of became that bigger picture stuff and, you know, getting to engage with more girls across the program. So, you know, I was grief struck when you know, the funding didn't continue. And I just started to, I think, just look at different options. I was a single mum at the time too. So then you've got that kind of heavy burden of, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to, I think, manage, you know, being a single mum, still paying rent, still paying my car loan and things like that. And yeah, so I just decided to yeah continue to apply for positions. The new programs that came through, unfortunately, didn't have a position available for me at the level that I seen myself in. Like I could have just gone into a program management position, but I knew I was already on that kind of upward. And I was like, no, because I want to, I want to learn more and I want to keep building myself up. And I was really lucky. Well, I say lucky, but like, you know, I'll back myself. I earned it. There was a assistant director position with the Department of Education. So started working there, lasted six months because it was government. And I realized as, as an assistant director, whilst you can sit there and say, oh, this is like, this is end game for me. This is, you know, this is where I want to be. It actually wasn't for me because I felt disconnected from the work on the ground. And I knew I had so much energy still to give to the work on the ground. 
so took a leap of faith and started my business. Good on you. <laughs> and it was because of that experience that I had working, you know, within schools and identifying the gaps that we had in schools. And I think what I knew what the girls needed to be successful as well. So yeah, I broke out, started my own business. I was really lucky to not have to promote my business too much. It was a lot of like through word of mouth and partnerships. I'd attend an event and do some project, like, you know, collaborate with businesses, did project management, training development. But my passion was always around lateral violence. And I was always like, I want to develop something where, you know, we start to discuss lateral violence and the effects it has. And because that was what we we're dealing with in schools, like, you know, the fighting, the bullying, the shaming, the isolation, the family feuding. You know, I worked down in Victoria for a couple of years as well as an Aboriginal community liaison officer. And the feuding was really, really prominent in like, you know, a few of those communities as well. So, you know, you see the effects that that has, but, you know, and someone who, you know, lived that narrative as well, I was like, oh, how can I change and contribute to changing this narrative for our people and in particular women? So developed this program and it's called the Lateral Empowerment Program. Started off as my passion project, but it's pretty much 80% of what I do now. So even just this year, I've delivered 14 programs and had 187 participants across the Northern Territory. Wow. Yeah. And like that program started as something that I wanted to deliver to students, you know, to help them to dismantle lateral violence and talk about, you know, when maybe we've been the one that has exhibited those behaviors and you know, perhaps why, understanding why we've exhibited those behaviours because, and I'd share my story about how I was that one that used to fight around all the time and, you know, I thought that that was normal and that, you know, you can, you fight to get yourself out of trouble but in the end it just got me into deeper trouble and I was lucky to be able to, you know, get out of that because of the empowerment that was wrapped around me through my family, through my friends. So I was like, my, I want to pass on that knowledge where, we need to surround ourselves with people that are going to empower us, not people that are going to, you know, not be nice to us, that are going to put us down. Or when we are trying to be better, you know, they end up putting us down because we're trying to be better. When you go back to the, if I, if I just go back, because it's really interesting, this stuff and the journey you've been on, and I think it's super cool, especially getting out there and doing this stuff with your lateral empowerment program. I think it's awesome. Before I get into that, though, if I go back to when you were helping the girls up here in the NT with, with that community-based program and going to the schools, what was the biggest challenge you had when you went out there to deliver your programs? Do you remember some of the things that were quite tough to get cut through or what, what also were some of the things that worked really well when engaging the women or girls at that age? Well, when I worked in schools, like that was one of the main issues where we were dealing with students getting suspended regularly. Right. And if they're getting suspended, they're missing out on school or students were being bullied. So then they weren't coming to school or they would be wagging. Right. And then that's affecting their education as well. So okay. it was trying to kind of discover what were, you know, what were the underlying issues? Like, is it because they felt like they didn't belong? Is it like, what do they actually need to be able to connect, share and learn in these environments? So yeah, I just... That was something that we dealt with regularly. Even as a regional manager, it was trending across Australia. Across, yeah. We had 42 programs. So, and that was something that we were all discussing, like how can we stop the fighting? How can we stop, you know, just the meanness? Yeah. Yeah. 
you covered a bit of a geographical location just in your role. Did you find any differences with certain remote areas? Is there any particular or was it the same issues popping up, the same challenges and the solutions were very much worked well no matter where you went to try and help? I would say it's different. Okay. Whilst it's similar themes, just the way or the ex- like the extremeness of some of the violence as well. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of... And what I have found as well in delivering these programs, there is so much shame that sits below all of these behaviours, like whether you've been a victim of lateral violence or you've been the one that's exhibited the behaviours. It's just, there's so much shame. And I do believe, and like, you know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but that, you know, as parents, we instilled this shame into our children. And it's been unconscious. It's, you know, oh, don't do that, that shame, like don't. And then we've kind of instilled that fear of being more than, you know, what you should be seen to be. Whereas like my, a lot of my messaging now is like, don't be put in a box. Like don't let anyone put you in a box. And I would never let anyone put me in a box either because I know like what I'm capable of. And I've also got people around me that tell me what I'm capable of and they'll pull me up when they, they're just like, no, you deserve better than this or you are better than this. Yep, and, and for the, just to explain that for for other people, and what is the, what's what do you mean by box? You mean be told you have to be a certain way, mm-hmm. act a certain way, believe certain things? Is that what you mean? Like that, and then also, like you know, for instance, me being told like, oh, like you can have a program manager position, even though I've been a regional manager before and the experience was there. It's like, and then it's right. those you know those undermine those. Yes. Things like, oh, like, you know, I'm sure that you, you know, just want to work nine to five and like, you know, just rock up to work and leave work. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm here to challenge. I'm here to challenge everyone around me. I'm here to elevate everyone because no one's going to improve unless we do challenge each other. That's good. That curiosity is awesome, isn't it? Like it's just, and it doesn't surprise me when you went to the education part that you would have had a bit of a challenge. Was it the rigidity? Was it just the structure, the processes, which is what was really suffocating your creativity and your enthusiasm to get out there and and have that flexibility, perhaps? I think realizing that, yeah, that it was a tape, the tape, the processes to be able to do an action or create an action. You know, I don't, don't get me wrong. I understand government needs to be there. You know, one day when I don't have the energy, maybe I'll want to sit there and, you know, just tell people what they should be doing. Whereas now I feel like I'm the one that should be doing it. Yes. You know, and one day I will be in that position where I do want to take a step back and I want to start just guiding other people. Yeah, that's well put. But what about as it relates to you wanting to get leverage? So you wanting to leverage yourself. So you, you went to the classroom, you thought, hang on, this is great, but there's more of me to give. There's more of a message. I've got to reach more people. Tell us, how do you, in this day and age, leverage yourself to try and and do that? And this comes to probably what you're doing at the moment. But yeah, how do you get out and get in front of more people that need to hear the sort of things in the programs that you're running? I know in moving into, you know, establishing my own business, my thing was I wanted to do more and I wanted to be more. And, you know, especially as like, I'm not a single mum now, I've got a very amazing and supportive partner. But, you know, at that time I was like, I've got a young daughter who's watching me and I want to do more. I want to be more for her and also for the next generation. I'm like, how can I create a good world for my daughter to 
be walking in because we have so many fears when we have children about what, you know, state the world is in, you know, at that time. So I know, like, especially in the beginning of my business, I wanted to make sure that I was saying yes to as much as possible. So, you know, when you walk into the world of, you know, being an entrepreneur or like a social enterprise, you're like, what are my capabilities? Because they've always been stuck in that. This is my job description. So this is all I do. Whereas I had this kind of discovery phase where I was like, said yes to everything, started to work out, oh, these are like, I'm actually really good at this. Or, you know, I never seen myself as a facilitator. I never seen myself as an MC or as someone who can even speak, but it's something I've always done, you know, playing football, being a captain, being a coach, working in education, you know, can conducting in classrooms. I was like, I actually, I am a facilitator. So it was discovering what my capabilities actually were through those experiences and opportunities. And a lot of people, and like, you know, you don't get to these positions by yourself. I've had so many amazing, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women that have just backed me, said my name at tables, you know, and that's where the opportunities have come is just because I've been able to say yes. And even though people would ask me to MC, and I feel like I have terrible imposter syndrome. Like it happens every single time, guaranteed. Today, even more so. So, you know, and then once I get through that and I start talking, I'm like, no, this is where I'm meant to be. Like yeah. you either share your story or like you don't. I feel like I wish more people shared their story with me growing up. Yes. You know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. No. And it is uncomfortable to start with, but that's where you grow, right? And yeah. you could see you did a great job and you can see, yeah, I mean, it's made for you. So you did a great job up there and it's fantastic to tell your story because you're right, everyone has a story to tell and and a platform to, to tell it from is important. Tell me about the, I'm interested into the, the, the role the role of sport in your family has been quite big in the AFL side of things and including not just your family, but yourself as well. Tell us about the importance of sport and how that's helped shape who you are and, and your outlook on life. Hugely. Like I don't even think I'd be the person I am today without it. One, because obviously we travelled a lot with Dad with his sporting career, obviously playing AFL, coming back to Darwin, coaching teams, and I think watching and being a part of his and seeing his leadership and the way that he spoke as well. And, you know, he would just move a room and he was so, like he was just looked up to so much. And I think, you know, being around that and then I also aspired to play football and as soon as I, like, you know, I came, I played touch footy growing up. I did dance. I played volleyball, netball, basketball, like anything. Cause I lived in Northern Boy. So any sport that could get me back to Darwin for a week or two, I was, I was right. there. <laughs> yeah. But like, I just loved it. As soon as I started playing AFL, it was just like, you join this whole, it's like a massive community. It's a massive yeah. family. And I think naturally from like how dad was, I just started to like, I think my first time I captained the team, I was about. I think I was 19 or 20 at the time in the NTFL. So, you know, I've played over 200 games nationally. Um, captain the NT Thunder, you know, VFLW side. But it's been like, uh, yeah, all of the transferable skills that I've gotten from footy, like my confidence, my ability to speak, you know, being punctual, being like everything that you can learn, <laughs> it all transferred into my professional careers as well. And then also like the people that you meet, the best friends that I have. Yes. They're all from sporting backgrounds. I've got none from school. They're all from sporting teams, whether it's been rugby or AFL teams that I played, you know, played in alongside them. Yeah. And 
the impact that this could have on Indigenous kids in particular, sports. I mean, do you want to talk a bit to that as well? Oh, huge. So I know when I was working at Girls Academy, we had the first youth girls team at Palmerston and we made it a bit of an engagement. It was an engagement team. to It was trying to create an incentive for girls to come to school. Like, okay, if you come to school, you've got 90% plus attendance, you get to play footy. Like, you know, you get to choose your kit. We did the design together. You know, we made it so fun. And then that was a way for us to kind of hook the girls. And they were like, yeah, we can play footy on the weekend. I'd borrowed mum and dad's, you know, land cruiser and pick whatever girls need to get picked up on the weekend and take them in. So, and it was, you know, it's about sometimes school, you know, it's hard for girls to find a place for themselves in school, whereas sporting teams, you know, it's just a place where they can belong, a place where they can be. I know like that was that for me. I've been at footy clubs where I haven't felt like I've belonged and I have left and just recently like joined Southport Sharks and they have been so welcoming and I was, you know, very like as we do, we walk with our pride on our sleeve and said, you know, Amber's a woman, Northern Territory, this is who I am and I was so interested and never had an Indigenous Guernsey, never celebrated like anything whereas they just wrapped their, you know, they were like, okay, what can we do to be better? It's awesome. Yeah. Just the opportunities to travel, like you say, and just get out and, yeah, build that community, that connection with other people because that's where a lot of that connection happens, isn't it, when you travel and you're, you're through those times of adversity on the footy field and overcoming obstacles and, and challenges and whether you win or lose, it just brings people close together. And so it's a great tool to – and also it keeps the kids busy, doesn't it? Have some, a sense of purpose to work towards. Yeah, because they've got, you know, training twice a week. They'll yeah. want to come to footy early. Sometimes they'll run water for other teams. So it's like, it is, they just, it's about being a part of something because school, you know, is only really five days a week for, you know, six hours a day or whatever it is. But it's about giving them that, you know, extracurricular activity. It's about exercise. And sometimes we'll have girls that don't even, you know, maybe they don't even know how to kick a ball, but they want to be a part of the team. So we've had those kind of situations as well. And like what you're talking about with travel, girls that have never been able to leave mm. their communities and then they get opportunities to play footy and they get taken, whether it's just to Darwin or Alice Springs or interstate, mm. like it's huge. I know we did some stuff with NT Thunder under 18s and a few of those girls, it was the first time they ever travelled interstate, first time they ever been on plane. Mm. And that's the kind of things that, you know, footy or just sport in general can, and it's lifelong. Yeah. Lifelong memories, lifelong lessons and learnings. Let's talk about the wave of change, what that's about. I understand that was an opportunity for you to get out. It's, I mean, it's, it can be quite daunting and challenging for people to start their own business. So the fact that you've done that is amazing and you're doing super successful, got a lot of stuff going on. But tell us around the challenges, the step into the unknown, doing your own thing, and then you must believe in what you're doing in order to do that, which is, I think, quite inspirational. So do you want to give us a bit of background on that? I definitely believe in what I'm doing, but don't get me wrong. There's probably, I reckon at least maybe once every few weeks, I have a bit of a breakdown. I'm like, oh, do I, can yes. I just go back to a job yes. where someone tells me what to do and I don't it's have hard. to hustle? Yeah, it is hard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it is, but it's so rewarding. It's yeah. like, then you sit in those moments and, you know, you've created a program that, you know, is by us, for us. And I get to work with organizations that, you know, think the same as me or have, this, they want the same meaningful outcomes as well. So my 
you know, my mission is to influence meaningful waves of change to empower others. So everyone that I work with, I want to leave them with some kind of lasting, you know, effect, whether it's, you know, through our collaboration or resources that I've developed for them. So initially I just started off as project management and then, you know, did some co-design, you know, consultation and evaluation. And yeah, like, again, sometimes I've gone in and I didn't think I had the experience. I'm like, I'm just going to say yes and wing it. And then I would get into the process and I'd start learning and, you know, learning from those partners that I'm working with as well. And then I ended up really having a voice at those tables and started to get valued in those spaces as well. So takes a bit of confidence, doesn't it, though? Like you say, you, you have the dialogue internally that thinks, gee, am I enough? Is this something, you know, and do I really belong here? But as you're finding out, you, you got to start somewhere and you got to believe in yourself. And don't, there's been things where I'm like, okay, that's not for me. Like probably wasn't my area. I could have, you know, and then that I just kind of take that off my plate. Then I'm like, okay, I won't accept anything like that moving forward. And then, you know, especially at the start when you say yes to everything, you're like, yes, 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 I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. You, you know, you're doing little jobs when you know, my influence, I want to be a lot bigger. So then it's starting to be a bit more specific about like, you know, when do I give my time for free? You know, events like this, like this is a space that I want to be in. So the, you know, whether you like, if you don't get paid, that's fine because of the space that I'm in and the people that I get to meet here. Whereas there's been other organizations that are like, oh, can you run a half day program? And do two hours of this and two hours of that, but you need to develop it and you, it would be free, but you'll get tickets to the event. And I'm like, well, what am I actually getting out of this? Because I'm going to spend 20 plus hours developing a program specific for what your need is. I don't feel valued. No. I don't feel seen. And then, you know, especially if they're not Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organizations or yeah. First Nations organizations as well. So it's good to be in a position where I can say like, this is not the partnership for me or the space that I'd like to be in. And then, yeah, it is it, like it's hard. Yeah, it is hard, but it's worth the fight. And it's and it takes a skill set that you develop over time to try and to grow the business then. And but developing the programs is one thing, but then another is then getting out there and delivering it and then thinking, okay, well, who else needs to hear this and how do I get in front of them? And and so it's it can be lonely, it can be tough, but you're certainly doing Quite well out of it. What 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 excites you most about the future for you, Letitia, and where you're heading? I think more so my the program, the lateral empowerment program. You know what started as something that was just a passion project. You know it was something that I identified in schools, and then now I deliver it to women, and I see the effect that it has, and I'm like, wow, this is so much bigger than you know I could have even imagined. So I'm looking forward to seeing. Like I'm in the process of you know, going online, I'll have a website up and running by the end of the year. I have relied heavily on grants for, you know, nearly two years now with that program, but now it's about, you know, doing a fee for service because I have built it up to be that way. I'm actually just started my master's as well, just a bachelor institute. So potentially, yeah, well, and I want to transition into a PhD and my intention is to, I'm um, studying lateral violence and the effects it has on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander girls because since delivering this program, I know I'm, 
you know, there's so much good anecdotal data. There's, I'm just like, this needs to actually inform something. So I want it to, you know, actually inform something rather than just going in, delivering the program. Yes, I'm empowering women and I'm giving them the tools that they need to, you know, instill lateral empowerment into their daily lives. But it's, it's about really unpacking that, the shame, the lateral violence and the effects it has on us. And yeah, hopefully that can inform something moving forward. Well, not hopefully, I believe it really will. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. And looking at these images and stuff online, like I mean, there's people, ladies there of all ages that are going through this program. And and so change, any, any type of change is hard because some people, it's very hard to change people's behaviors, patterns. What's, can you give us a little snippet as to, you know, what what sort of things that you're helping people overcome? Is it beliefs? Is it behaviors? Is it self-confidence? Is it all these things wrapped up into your program? I think one of the biggest things is mindfulness. Yes. So it's being more aware of, I think, your own behaviors as well. So starting off, and I've delivered this program to men and women as well. And what I did is just brought in a male facilitator. So it's worked yep. With an, did it with an Indigenous employee network in Melbourne earlier this year. And then that was it. It's like I just keep adding layers and testing it and it's just really like, <laughs> again, I just, it started as a passion project and now I'm like, wow, this can really be impactful like in workplaces, in schools. So the conversations change. So in schools it's more about, you know, some of the conversations might be around, yeah, the cyber cyberbullying or the bullying, the fighting social exclusion, like that's a lot of that stuff that happens in schools. There has been conversations that come up where, you know, students have talked about parents and, you know, how parents have interacted with each other when they've broken up. And, you know, obviously that hits home with a lot of people. And then you move into like speaking with women and then a lot of those conversations and the themes are around, you know, just other women putting other women down often. And I talk about how you know, I've been that person that was physical and they used to fight around all the time. And, you know, now I'm this person who's preaching empowerment and, you know, empowering people and I'm a captain. That's what I'm seeing of seeing now in the community. But because often we think, oh, we've been that, you know, negative person that we can't be this good person. But I'm like, yeah, you can. And I'm standing here before you because I am. And sometimes our behaviors go below the line. And that's because of how we've been grown up. That's our backstory. That's, you know, our biology and, you know, our automatic reaction to things. Whereas now it's like, no, let's change that. Let's be more mindful. And that's what we do is we talk about, you know, and I'm, I don't call anyone out because I share my story. And I think that's enough for everyone to go, oh, I've been that person. And it's like, let's be more mindful of our behaviors and how they might affect another person because they affect other people differently. And unpacking, you know, emotional literacy and, you know, how does anger show up in us? Do we cry when we're angry? Do we, like, throw things when yes. we're angry? Or when we're sad, what, what does it look like when we're sad? But it's different for everyone. So those are the kinds of things that we unpack. And because you're looking at each other and everyone's sharing how different it is, you're like, oh, wow. So it's about being more reflective then. Yeah, just awareness of those emotions and the regulation of how, of that and how that comes to fruition. Yeah. I think it's super cool and so meaningful. And I think the the program looks amazing. So congratulations on that. What, what, what are the next, what's the, what's your plan in the future? You want to roll out more of these? You want to try and cover more ground? Are you going to get people on board to help 
Like what, what's your plan with it all? I've got, I definitely want to cover more ground. I've predominantly been delivering across the Northern Territory just because I felt like whilst I've been living in Queensland for the past year, I just felt like I owed it to my own people to deliver it here first, obviously because, you know, it's my people that have inspired me to do it. So, yeah, and now, yeah, it's about going online, you know, actually marketing it properly, (laughs) not relying on grants anymore. Obviously, I'll be studying at the same time. So my study will also inform more of the training. But at the same time, every time I deliver the training, it's the women that actually inform and shape the training, what it looks like going forward. Because I'll go, oh, let's tweak that because these conversations were starting to come up. Yes. And the examples that we share within each program changes dependent on the cohort. So dependent if it's a school group or if it's a group of women and, you know, talking about those examples around, especially in women, like when we get good jobs or Oh, like, you know, you think you're too good now or like, you know, sometimes we get caught up because we've got our own kids to raise now and we want to be better for our kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly a big challenge that you're trying to do here. I mean, this is, it's exciting really. Yeah. And I can tell you're pumped about it all. And (laughs) I think it's wonderful. If as a closing remark for our listeners, what, what do you want to say in closing and how can people get in touch with you? In closing is, I think I, Kathy Freeman, she spoke at an event a couple of years ago that I seen and she said, nothing meaningful that we do in life is done alone. And I think that's true. My business would not be successful without, you know, the people that I have around me. I've got two amazing, you know, they're my friends, but they also come in as co-facilitators and, you know, they've helped me really shape this program. Whilst it's, you know, been my idea, it's our friendship and you know, our different experiences that have actually helped shape this program. So I haven't, you know, done it alone. I've been able to bring, you know, other people in and pay other people as well, which I think is has felt empowering for me to be able to give that assistance to other people as well. But yeah, I think it's a new conversation. It's something that we don't talk about enough and, you know, being vulnerable and sharing our stories. And I think there's so much power in that as well. Beautifully put. And how can people get in touch with you, Letitia? LinkedIn, is it? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Yep. Also on Instagram. So Wave yep. of Change, PTYLTD on Instagram. Probably the best contact is LinkedIn and yeah, just my email. Yep. And the website's coming out at some point. Yes. Uh, it'll be out before, to, I want it to launch before 2024. So okay. hit the ground running. Cool. Well, you know what? I've I've really enjoyed listening to you, your story. Your, your mob, your people, where you're from, you're growing up and, and also professionally what you've been up to and and the fact that that's led to you engaging in these programs to help women as and men in certain, certain circumstances has been amazing. So congratulations on the work you're doing and we wish you all the best for the future, but we appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.